Okay, everyone, welcome. Welcome to this panel. Um, the panel is part of a series that's hosted in um, Columbia College Chicago, the Department of Humanities, History, and Social Sciences, called the Intersection Series. And if, you could, if you'd like, there are flyers out there. The next talk's on November 5th. It's called After Citizens United, the Future of American Democracy. It'll be a very interesting panel, similar um, political dimension to it. Uh, today's panel is called Mayor Emanuel's First Year Report Card. I think we're very lucky to have a, uh, a panel of heavies. <laughs> uh, what, what, what the um, motivation for this panel is, um, is there seems to be um, uh, sort of a lack of a critical uh, evaluation of elected officials. Um, and hopefully this panel will in some way uh, have the benefit of, ha of airing some um, views by experts uh, about the accomplishments uh, of our mayor uh, towards, you know, uh, some sort of dialogue about these things at, this, at a high level. Uh, and we're lucky to have on this panel Ben Jarofsky from The Reader and Larry Bennett from DePaul and Dominic Pasiga from Columbia. So without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Dominic Pasiga. Good evening. Uh, on the way here, I noticed a lot of people with bear uniforms. I thought they'd be here, but I guess uh, I guess they're going someplace else. Uh, we're going to talk about Rahm Emanuel. Uh, now, here's an interesting here's an interesting question. What grade do we give Rahm Emanuel? And I want to give a little little background for those of us who are probably don't remember, or are too young to remember, uh, that there were other dailies before Richie Daly. That was Richard J. Daly. He was uh, mayor from 1955 to 1976, and was sort of the epitome of the machine politician. Uh, when he died in 1976, we had Michael Blandick, Jane Byrne, Harold Washington, who focused on the neighborhoods rather than downtown, uh, who tried to bring other groups into the political dialogue. All of these things have led to a past that has to be dealt with, not only by Rahm Emanuel, but, but first by Richie Daly, uh, who became mayor in 1989 until last year in 2011. The question about the machine is, what kind of a machine is it? How does it run? Uh, how does it continue? Uh, certainly Richie Daly's machine, and I'll use the term Richie instead of Richard II, Richie Daly's machine was, was different from his father's, was less ethnic. He came up with new ethnic groups. Uh, the gay and lesbian community suddenly became an ethnic group uh, to an extent for, uh, for Richie. He gave them uh, signage on the neighborhood, marches in the parade, doesn't march into St. Patrick's, Southside St. Patrick's Day parade, but marches in the gay and lesbian pride parade. This is not his father's machine. You've got a president who's dealing with a financial crisis. Perhaps you'll have a new president dealing with a financial crisis after November 6th. Um, you have the same thing going on here in the city. He inherited a bad economy. You have to understand that this part of the success of previous mayors, especially the two dailies, is for a long time they inherited a good, solid economy. They had solid democratic support in Washington, D.C., with the uh, administrations of John Kennedy and Lyndon Baines Johnson, uh, and then later with Bill Clinton for Ritchie. Uh, these administrations pumped money into the city. 
They, this is now disappeared. So there's a lot of financial difficulties. If we're going to evaluate Rahm Emanuel, I think you, one has to think about what kind of difficulties he's facing before you can make any kind of judgment. There are budget problems galore. There's a pension system. Uh, there are union contracts that were signed with 2016 Olympics in mind. When those Olympics did not happen, those contracts still stayed in place. There is, of course, our, you know, the basic problem that we all face every time we try to park, the parking meter issue. Uh, one might say he was dealt a bad hand. Certainly he was dealt a worse hand than either one of the dailies had been handed at the time. The question of, for Rahm Emanuel, I think, is uh, how does he deal with this? I think one could say pretty uh, easily that Emanuel has an abrasive personality. Uh, that there's constant, that, that con and in a way he thrives on conflict. Uh, and, and this has been part of his public persona for a long time. I don't think we have to talk about dead fish being mailed to congressmen and, 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 and such, such things. But his abrasive personality at times has made it difficult to deal with other strong individuals. I mean, obviously, Karen Lewis in the Chicago Teachers Union comes to mind. She, too, is a very strong personality. Uh, and they did not, did not hit it off. The, the Chicago schools issue and the strike uh, is, is an important one because I think it shows the way, in, in a way, that Rahm Emanuel reacts to issues. He's forceful. He attacks. Sometimes he doesn't listen. Uh, this can very well be seen in negative because other union issues are going to be coming up soon with the Chicago Fire Department and Chicago Police Force. A police force which is about 3,000 policemen under number, you know, under, under, under count. A police force that is facing a city that has a large murder rate. The, he brought in Gary McCarthy uh, to run the Chicago Police Department, but he really needs to bring in 2,000 police officers to help the Chicago Police Department. That ain't going to happen soon because of the budget restrictions. By the way, it is the oldest municipal police force in the world at this point, continuously in, in place. What can he do? He can scream about the parking meters. He can threaten to sue the parking meter company. He's not going to get around, uh, around that contract with the parking meters. He, can, he, has a, he has to face the Chicago public schools, which are almost seems to be almost insurmountable problems in education in this city. And if you want to be a global city, you have to have a good school system, or you're not going to be a really true global city. You have to have a good school system. You have to have a good uh, secondary educational system. You have to have a good uh, community college system. All of these things have been left to go, sort of decay over time. He hires Jean-Claude Brizard. Obviously, a bad choice at this point. The question is, can Rahm Emanuel admit he made a mistake? Perhaps. He's now our hired Barbara Bird Bennett, whom a lot of people told him he should have hired in the first place. He's backed down. He's changed. That might be a positive sign for someone with such an abrasive personality. But the larger issue is decline, decline or growth. And it seems to me that few people, few mayors, few presidents, few governors can actually control these kinds of situations which are almost beyond the territory of the city of Chicago. 
What does it mean for us to decline? What does it mean for us to grow? The murder rate obviously has to be dealt with. It has not been dealt with well. There are bigger questions. Okay. He has tried in some ways to make this the most immigration-friendly city. Uh, we'll see how that works. Uh, he has tried to, well, you know, he's a, the bike thing is really irritating me, by the way. You know, I don't know if anybody's been to Hyde Park lately, but driving down 55th Street, you get, you can almost can't get by because the bike lanes are so wide and they're sticking out. Have you seen this? It drives me out of my goddamn mind. You, you'd obviously okay. love I mean, Amsterdam. I, I, I haven't been on a bike in years. Okay. He's just loosened up on food trucks, which is good. We're a little bit more like New York. Uh, and he's cut the head tax, which has been important. If there's been any real positive sign, and I think there's been some positive signs, it's the, you know, the, the, the bringing in of some jobs. Motorola, Motorola Mobility, bringing it, but he, remember, he's st stealing these jobs from Libertyville, right? Uh, Chase has promised 400 new jobs. EMC Corporation, is, which is an information technology leader, has talked about 200 new jobs. Dow Chemical is moving their Midwest uh, headquarters here. The Vry Online Services, United Airlines is moving back into the city. GE Transportation. Supposedly, there's about 4,000 new jobs in Chicago. When Sarah Lee announced they were coming into Chicago to bring 400 jobs in from the suburbs, uh, he talked about making this the food production capital of the world someday. Interestingly enough, it used to be the food production capital of the world. You may remember a little thing we had called the Union Stockyard. Uh, but, but nevertheless, I think that there are some, some, some interesting points uh, that he's made on, on, in, in, in growth of the economy. Immigration-friendly, I think, is extremely important. You cannot have a global city unless you are immigration-friendly. You cannot have a global city unless new people can come in with new ideas and discuss new situations. We all talk about these digital revolution, uh, McCormick Place being, being this high-tech center. Uh, not McCormick Place, I'm sorry. Uh, the Merchandise Mart being a high-tech center. Uh, the old uh, uh, printing plant next to McCormick Place also being a digital center. All of these things are very important. But they, they, they are driven by people. I just heard a statistics this morning that the majority of people in the city of Chicago are under the age of 44. That means we actually have a fairly young population. That means that there's a lot of hope for new ideas and expansion and new jobs in the future. But it's one that a city, hopefully Rahm Emanuel, as long as he stays mayor, will embrace and grow. Uh, we're supposed to give this guy a final grade, right? So I'm a pretty tough grader, okay. you know, but I'll say somewhere around a C. I'd say pretty much around a C, maybe a C plus. I don't think I'd go much higher until he deals with the labor issue in, a, in, a, in an equitable manner. Larry? Well, I, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to give him an incomplete, so I'll just okay. give, give away the game initially. <laughs> He's tougher than I am. I, I flir flirted with the idea of taking the... Uh, the uh, the language that was used in describing the meeting literally, and I was going to uh, ask for a empty chair. Uh, <laughs> I have an empty podium. Clint Eastwood style, and I was going to question the student who was coming in with an incomplete. And uh, I figured that if if Clint Eastwood blew it, I would probably blew it too. So I'm uh, I'm going to gauge in more um, <clears throat> uh, cold and uh, resolute analysis. But uh, I, I am serious about the incomplete point. It's too early to tell. Yeah. He's, uh, he's been mayor for, for 18 months or something along those lines. And as I think you all know, 
In the presidential debate tonight, at some point, um, Governor Romney will accuse uh, President Obama of not uh, having the economy in ship, ship shape condition for all of us. We went through the worst economic decline since the Great Depression, and it is going to take years and years and years to recover, even if we do the right thing. And so uh, I think one of the things that's really important to bear in mind is we have to be careful about judging these people when they can't really be judged yet. So I'm going to be mainly uh, talking about where Obama, uh, Obama, where Emmanuel comes from, Obama, of course, uh, where Emmanuel comes from, and also raise some questions uh, about his methods and aims, questions that I think all of us should ask. But, but let me underscore one point about the, uh, the nature of being mayor in a city like Chicago, and let's, let's take education as, as, as an illustrative case. Uh, what it will mean in Chicago for the Chicago public schools or the school system to be reformed will be a situation in which the large majority of our young Williams and Melissas read texts astutely and know how to engage in pretty sophisticated calculations. That is, it's going to be the Williams and the Melissas who have to be better. And mayors can give speeches, and mayors can opt for charter schools over public schools. Mayors can go after teachers' unions. All of those kinds of actions are many intermediate steps away from actually having better public education. And, and it's a realization that I think we should all keep in mind. So there are serious limits to what any mayor can do. And, and I think that that's, uh, that's a reality. Um, one, one person in the room has heard this line before. It worked pretty well at an event on Friday, so I'm going to do it again. It's the uh, classic instructor's uh, challenge. You know, that was a pretty good joke. How many classes can I use it in? Um, the uh, late um, senator from uh, Minnesota, Paul Wellstone, referred to himself as uh, someone coming from the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, Rahm Emanuel does not come from the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party. He comes from the prosperous wing of the Democratic Party. And um, I, I make this point because uh, unlike even a uh, Richard M. Daley, uh, Rahm Emanuel made his mark in national democratic politics essentially through fundraising, through contacting and interacting with large-scale donors to various uh, candidates and office holders that he worked for on the way up. Uh, Rahm Emanuel uh, left politics for a couple of years and became, this is my only visual aid tonight, he became a banker for a couple of years. And I had, up until that point, always thought that uh, a finance background as opposed to, say, dancing was the kind of ingredients that went into becoming a banker. He was so successful in two years that he evidently made $16 million. And I don't say that just because I'm envious of someone with $16 million. It's that I think that Rahm Emanuel learned that bankers are incredibly smart people, given what can be accomplished in such a short time. And so, again, I think that there's a way in which his background is important in, uh, in shaping his policies. And as we experience, uh, there's a, I would say, disproportionate number of people who have come into important slots in the Emanuel administration that come from a business background. And that's not to disparage business, but it is to suggest that that's a particular way of looking at the world and city government that seems to govern his thinking. 
the other element of his mayoralty that I think is also clearly reflective of this approach is a lot of the particulars of his public policies as he's laid them out so far. So that the uh, restructuring of the school system moving in the direction of charter schools is, I think, reflective of this policy. The, uh, the elevation of a formerly obscure group, World Business Chicago, to become essentially the planning agency for the city government, even though that it isn't in city government. Uh, the creation of the Chicago Infrastructure Trust uh, over the last uh, several months, and even approaches to more uh, prosaic things like garbage collection. And, and by the way, in lumping all of these within the umbrella or under the umbrella of a business approach to government, I'm not saying they're all bad either but it's, I think, a, a ruling philosophy. Uh, the, uh, the business or businessman's, the business person's approach to city government isn't necessarily a new thing. Uh, a very important movement in American politics a century ago called the Progressive Movement and its uh, stepchild, stepchild, the urban reform movement, was very much based on the idea of a business approach to uh, municipal management. There is a type of government that dates to that time and that is still very common in the United States, city manager government that's very reflective of this, this approach. Uh, somebody is going to run municipal administration who isn't elected. This person will be an expert, not a politician. Um, the question, though, I raise about uh, Emanuel's bringing this to city government in Chicago at the present time is, are these strategies always applicable or are they merely reflexive in the sense that, oh, city government is messed up. Let's bring in the good people from AIG and Lehman Brothers to straighten things out because they're so effective at the work that they do. And I think that that should always be asked about these business approaches to city government. Are they efficient? In fact, is their efficiency something that uh, uh, produced produces political costs that even in the face of efficiency we may not necessarily want to accept. Um, let, me, um, let me move from this point and talk a little bit about um, a broader question of problem solving. Problem solving in a complicated municipal environment like Chicago. And let's again talk about the problem in the Chicago public schools. And uh, Dominic spent a little bit of time with labor relations in the Chicago public schools, but I think I'll take a slightly different take on that. Um, why did uh, Mayor Emanuel take such an aggressive approach in dealing with the Chicago Teachers Union? And I'm going to throw out uh, three scenarios. They are probably not mutually exclusive. They are for you to think about. I'm not going to try to resolve their contradictions, but just to note this. Um, did uh, Mayor Emanuel really think that the teachers or the Chicago Teachers Union was the devil in the story? And that in order to improve public education in Chicago, you have to break the teachers' union. Uh, was Mayor Emanuel's approach in some sense political? Taking a hard line with the teachers' union was going to endear him to certain constituencies which would be of use to him. And what would those constituencies be? And again, I'm not going to answer this. I'm not even sure if it pertains, but I don't think it can be excluded. And then, of course, there's the third item that, uh, that, that Dom has mentioned. Uh, is it possibly produced by a character flaw? A uh, reflexive tendency to bully people who you ought to be attempting to enlist in a cooperative effort. 
And I don't think that that can be ruled out either. Um, these are particulars of the recent situation. Let's, uh, let's take schools and, uh, and, and broaden our thinking just for a moment. Again, I toss out uh, a group of related questions. Um, so what is the school system that Mayor Emanuel would like to see in Chicago? And I'm going to propose this as one possibility. There are some others, but I think that this is plausible. And it's, it's meant to be plausible. It's not meant to even be provocative. It's what he may want, which is a Chicago public school system which is half the size of the current Chicago public school system that operates in an education environment in which there are several hundred specialized academies of one type or another of varying provenances in terms of the organizations that run them. Uh, some of them, in fact, might even be for-profit operations, I suppose. But uh, I'm, I'm tossing that out as probably the likely scenario. So it's a much smaller public education system as we conventionally think of public school systems with all of these charters, in effect. And then the related question is, if that's what we get, or if that's what we will get, what kind of public education will be produced by that system? What kind of public education would be produced if that's where we're going? Now, I'm going to wrap up with this point, which is somewhat related to what I've just said. It's also because I've gotten to the bottom of the third page of my notes, and there isn't a fourth page. Okay. Um, is uh, Mayor Emanuel hostile to the public sphere? And again, that's a loaded term. I'm not going to bore you with, with, with defining it, but certainly from an institutional sense, um, the promotion of groups like World Business Chicago and the Chicago Infrastructure Trust, which are one, two, three steps removed from direct public oversight or control or review, is interesting. And again, Possibly these are moves that are justified for efficiency reasons, but then there is that question of responsibility and accountability to the public, and that is, I think, an important question to ask. Um, we have a uh, current city budget proposal that has been released. There were no public hearings along the way up to this point, but uh, people were encouraged to send in uh, online comments with suggestions about how to raise money by the city government. Um, is that the kind of democracy that you want? One in which public meetings and hearings and that kind of traditional in public space discourse has been limited and people uh, communicate their particular preferences online. And I'll, I'll stop there. Okay. Uh, is this working? You can, everybody can hear? All right. Put closer. This is better? Oh. You just became forceful. I know, I know. Well, I'm sorry, what did you say? Oh, yes. Uh, well, my name is Ben Jarofsky, and I'm a writer for the Chicago Reader newspaper, and I've been writing a column about politics forever, uh, or so it seems. And um, so... I, if anybody in this room has ever read anything I've ever written or heard me speak before, you probably know that I've been very critical of Mayor Rahm Emanuel, exceedingly so, uh, which is probably a, 
less, well, it has as much to do with me as it does with him, so I'm going to cut him some slack. I was exceedingly critical of the mayor that went before him, Mayor Richard M. Daly, uh, and I was uh, greatly in love with the mayor that went before him. I'm skipping Sawyer to Harold Washington. So in some ways, I'm searching for my long-lost mayor that I love dearly, the great Harold Washington. Uh, and all these mayors that have followed him are lacking tremendously. Um, in terms of Rahm Emanuel, you have to position him uh, in the context of the time in which he became mayor and I'm doing this from my point of view. So there could be people in this room, probably are, um, usually in the minority in the city on any of the issue, who disagree with me. And you'll speak out at the question time. But um, when, as we were emerging from the daily years, Baby Daily, the second daily, Richard M. Daly as opposed to Richard J. Daly, um, I felt as though Chicago has uh, had really lost sight of what uh, its needs were and how it should be spending its limited resources. Uh, it was clear to me that uh, the larger economic trends were hurting Chicago. We were no longer the manufacturing center that the professor was talking about earlier. Uh, we had a new economy. Um, so much of our wealth in the 90s was based on a real estate market that had uh, plummeted, so now there was less real estate taxes coming in. Um, at the same time, we had huge needs. Our schools are in abysmal shape to a large degree. Um, there's Because the federal government is withdrawing uh, on aid to education, it's more and more uh, incumbent upon the city of Chicago to uh, sort of uh, repair the inequity between the poorest of neighborhoods and the wealthiest neighborhoods in, re in regards to education. So there's tremendous pressure on our school system to spend whatever money it has wisely. And instead, it's year after year, I kept... It's almost screaming and bellowing, uh, $500 million or $250 million of our education money went out the window of some program called the TIF program, which I won't bore you with, with a whole recitation about. It's an exceeding, exceeding <coughs> wasteful uh, expenditure of money that we desperately needed. So, uh, And on top of that, Mayor Daley had wasted so much time and energy on the Olympics, which would have no benefit whatsoever, as far as I could tell, on anybody's life in Chicago and would just cost us a tremendous amount of our, again, desperately needed dollars. So in every single way, it seemed as though we were squandering the little money we had and that uh, we were uh, ignoring the huge critical issues we faced. And uh, as we came to uh, sort of an economic abyss with all of our uh, uh, entities of government facing a huge crisis uh, in terms of deficits, Mayor Daley sold off the parking meters uh, to uh, just pay the basic bills, and then threw his hand up in despair and left. So at that point, Chicago's facing a critical uh, situation. Who do we turn to to lead us away from this abyss? We chose a guy named Rahm Emanuel. This is a man, as far as I could tell, well, he wasn't born in Chicago, wasn't raised in Chicago, hardly ever lived in Chicago. As far as I could tell, he never thought much about Chicago. He was a political operative. He's a very good political operative. He's an exceedingly talented political operative. He's a great fundraiser, as Larry mentioned. Uh, but he's, as far as I could see, he's never thought about any of these overwhelming issues. I feel as though he was cramming as though it was a test. And he's a smart guy. I give him credit for that. Um, so essentially what he did was he created a political campaign of sort of like buzzwords. And um, that became his governing strategy once he was in office. So while running for office, he, um, 
he said that the schools are have the greatest problem facing the children at our public schools today is that the day is too short. Well, that is an incredibly misleading statement to make about our public schools. The public schools of Chicago, as probably most of you know, if you've attended them or sent your children to them, are very uh, complicated and uh, diverse situation. You have some schools uh, that are the highest achieving schools in the state, if not the country, filled with um, the kinds of kids who wake up in the morning determined to get ahead and uh, stay that way all day. They're overachievers. The last thing in the world these children need, in my humble opinion, having seen some of them in operation, is more time in school. On the other hand, you have some schools that are so in poor neighborhoods that are, have absolutely no money for supplemental income, so they can't support their curriculum with art or music or drama or anything that uh, a civilized 21st century school system would offer for its students. And so they do need more resources, more time. So I would think that a prudent, wise uh, view of the public schools would somehow distinguish between all the contrasting schools, all the contrasting needs, the very diverse um, system that we have, and try to apportion what little money we have, and it's very little, we're always on the edge of bankruptcy, accordingly. And that would require, as Larry was suggesting, working with your public union, Karen Lewis, Chicago Teachers Union, your principals, etc. But instead, uh, Mayor Rahm continued the campaign, like double down on it. He had campaigned on extending the day. He was going to extend the day, no matter who got in his way. And so we had uh, a, a debacle that led, of course, ultimately to the teacher strike. And this is where we are at this moment. So I sort of view Rahm in that way across the board. Um, he's sort of learning what Chicago is as he goes along. He's our mayor. Uh, he's sort of learning about the different neighborhoods. He's learning about the different systems that he controls. He's learning about the different people that would um, oppose him. Um, I think as a political operative, he had a tendency to be very pragmatic and to sort of divide the city into little separate groups, some which have meaning and clout and others that don't. So he clearly, at the very onset, uh, came to the conclusion that the Chicago Teachers Union was of no significance to him, uh, that they were like unions in general, uh, losing power, losing membership, uh, very unpopular among the rank and file, and that he could probably advance his career by getting into a fight with him. And this leads to me to my final point where I come to my grade. Um, I've never taken Rahm Emanuel very seriously as a mayor of Chicago in the way that the mayor's dailies were. I've always felt that uh, both dailies, obviously, uh, were here for the long term. Uh, they had a sense of wanting to build the city. Uh, I didn't always agree. In fact, I very rarely agreed with Baby Daly, the younger one. But at least I saw him as somebody who was here to stay and uh, was going to put his stamp on Chicago one way or the other, usually over me. Um, Rahm Emanuel, I've always felt, uh, viewed being mayor of Chicago as sort of a step to another position uh, that's always been a guessing game among reporters. What does he really want? What's he really angling for? I've always, I, my guess is he wants to be president of the United States. And so he figured that a term in Chicago would bolster that in time for the 2016 presidential campaign. And what he was going to do was, quote, fix the schools by forcing the entire 
city to accept a longer day, even if he didn't know what he was going to do with it, beat up the teachers' union so that he could say on the campaign, yeah, I'm a Democrat, but I can still, I'm not afraid of unions. I knocked them around. I made them work a longer day. I took away their tenure rights, and I fired a whole bunch of them, as if you know that would somehow or other appeal to a Democrat, Democratic primary. And, um, and now there's this other issue, of, which Larry alluded to, the intra uh, the trust fund, which I have absolutely no idea what he's going to do with that. I don't think he really knows what he's going to do with that. But that was, I think, his idea of saying that I figured out a way to finance huge um, public development projects uh, without raising taxes. Uh, additionally, I figured that would also enhance him with the people who profited from the trust fund, which we haven't again figured it out, so they would give him campaign funds. So. I think that on that front, in terms of uh, doing what he, I think he wanted to do, which is advance his political career, I have to give him a D minus. I think he's hurt himself. I think he's far weaker in terms of his political career now than he was when he got here. He certainly uh, is considered an enemy to uh, union people and uh, public school fans and people who don't like high stakes testing and people, teachers and people who like teachers. And uh, as far as I know, they're a significant portion of any Democratic primary, particularly Iowa. So if he wants to be president, he's going to have to worry about that. As our mayor, I would say I would give him, I'm going to be generous and give him the incomplete because he's learning on the job, as I said before. Uh, and um, at least uh, in regards to um, our public, uh, our TIF dollars or capital money, he hasn't wasted it or squandered it on some uh, hokey plan yet. So I say uh, a D minus on his political ambitions, just because I'm really generous and I don't like to give Fs, and a incomplete as our mayor. I, I can go along with the incomplete. I'm pulling back my seat. <laughs> I've been talked out of it. You know, I, I think the issue of, of whether or not Rahm is going to stay is a big one. Um, let me just bring that up because I, I think he's on his way to being something else, too. I'm not sure what that something else is, but he's certainly on his way to being something else. The question is, why would he want to be mayor of a city that is, has all these problems? And, of course, there's a political ambition here. You know, if you can clear up even one of these problems, you can go up and say, I did this. I'm a great administrator. You know, but I think you're right. He may have to run as a Republican in Iowa. <laughs> Especially when it comes to the comes to the union issue, uh, certainly, you know, the problems are in many ways. I don't want to say insurmountable, but they're beyond his control. We need an economy that's turned around. We need to be moving in the right direction that way. We need to have a Congress that is somehow going to stop fighting it with it with itself constantly, and it's going to yeah, education. I from from a point of view of higher education in the 1960s when I went to university. Uh, I believe it was 70, I went to UIC, used to be called UICC. Uh, UIC had 77% of its budget paid for by the state. It's down to 17% or less now. I mean, that's an incredible kick in the pants to public education. This was the first four-year university in the city of Chicago. It gave a lot of kids a chance to go get a degree, to get out of, uh, you know, just jobs that were going to disappear like at Western Electric and Armour and Company. Seventy-seven percent in the 1960s. It's down to 17 percent now. As a country, we've made up our mind that education's not important. 
And I think we're making a tremendous mistake. So it has, this is way beyond the teachers union. This is way beyond, beyond Karen Lewis and Rahm Emanuel. This is, you know, we've made a decision that we don't want to pay for things. And, uh, and that's a real problem, I think, for the long run health of the country. No, I'm not responding yet. <laughs> okay. Are you? No, I just thought there questions before. Yeah, yeah. Be yeah, how about, how about some questions yeah. from the audience? Ask them. Or rebuttals. We'll do some, we'll do some questions, and uh, I'll just choose you. And I just want to also mention that this is being recorded by Inside Chicago Government, and it will be on the Internet, so don't say anything stupid. <laughs> okay. So, or your water will not be uh, turned on in the morning, and the garbage will not be picked up. <laughs> okay, so uh, the floor is open for questions to any of the panelists or to all the panelists. Okay, just to, just to reiterate for the, for the radio thing. Um, the question is, what happened to the other candidates in the race for Chicago mayor? Uh, well, I actually just saw one of the can other candidates. Uh, what was, what's today's? Uh, I saw Thursday, I saw Miguel de Valle, who's the candidate I voted for. So um, uh, what did he get, 9%? I see eye to eye with 9% of the city of Chicago, or at least it's voting elections. You've got, you've got a lot of clout, don't you? Yeah, I know, I'm in the lower nine. <laughs> Um, but that's still a higher grade than any of us have given Rom. So, okay. um, and uh, he's quote unquote retired now, uh, but he's. Um, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he were talked into running again. Let's put it that way. Um, he was speaking. We were on a TV show, and he was very critical of of the mayor on particularly in the school issues. Um, the other candidates, I cannot imagine them running for mayor anytime soon. Well, Carol Mosley Braun has probably yeah. her, uh, finished her political career. Uh, and uh, Jerry Chico, uh, I seriously doubt he'll ever run for mayor again. Uh, that was a one-shot deal for him. Um, he'll, he'll be around. He'll be around, Because yeah. he'll be working for people. Yeah, he'll be working for people. Yeah, I, was, I always felt as though that Jerry Chico was the candidate uh, who was there if Ed Burke's camp a lawsuit to knock Rahm off the ballot mm -hmm. or to prevail, and then Chico would be the front runner. And uh, Patricia, Patricia Watkins, who was another candidate, is now probably very soon to be a state senator. So uh, I doubt she'll be running for mayor. So whoever runs against Rahm in this next election, if he runs at all, uh, will be somebody who was not in that race, I presume. Okay, I'll, I'll take the first shot at that, because I'll go back at that from the standpoint of recent events with the, with the CPS as an example. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I think a very good point was made, and, and I was making this in a sort of indirect way. I mean, the, the problems of public education in the United States are really complicated in the sense that it is not simply a question of poor teaching or simply a question of obsolete facilities. Uh, as, as someone who has taught undergraduates for many, many years, uh, I think that uh, there are some kind of fundamental ways in which American culture does not actually promote academic achievement universally. Uh, some people get it and some people don't, but there's, there's a lot of resistance to it. Um, so if I, and, and, and I want to say one other thing about Richard M. Daly too, and I want to see what Ben in particular has to say about this, but Don may have a response as well. You know, what I was saying uh, half an hour ago is that, that mayors are limited in their capacity to do things. They can't make Jason and Melissa read better. That has to ultimately be done by Jason and Melissa. One thing that mayors can do if they've got the leverage is that they can improve facilities. And I actually think one of the things that Richard M. Daly should be given credit for is that a lot of money was put into okay. rehabilitating the physical structure of schools 
which isn't going to produce Melissa reading better, but the schools as physical plants were in such bad shape 20 years ago, and they really are much better now than they were. And I think that Richard M. Daly should be given some credit for that. But in terms of what Emanuel should have done, I'm a member of the uh, Diane Ravitch of this is how we ought to be going about school reform in the United States, in the sense that uh, if it is going to occur, it's going to have to be a matter of working with teachers, uh, to some degree possibly recruiting different kinds of people into teaching than has been the case previously, but it's also respecting teachers, giving teachers opportunities for professional development, people who are currently teaching. And uh, it is not a situation in which a particular group can be isolated, such as teachers, used as some sort of uh, punching bag, and therefore Jason and Melissa are going to read better. That's not going to happen. And so to me, I was uh, essentially uh, put off by Mayor Emanuel's thinking about education in a broad sense, where well, you have to work with teachers. But the other thing that I thought was quite striking is, and he also misread the politics of public education. Mm -hmm. The teachers and the CTU were one body this year. He, he couldn't isolate the union from the teachers. The teachers were with the union. So I think that uh, it's a big challenge if we just talk about education, but what a mayor has to do is work in a much more collaborative fashion than attempting to create a political conflict for some other purpose. You know, I think he thought he had it made when he passed a law that 80% had a vote for a strike, and they did 95 or 96%. And so you're right. I mean, he, miss, he misread the entire, the entire issue when it comes to, you know, unions, and, and, and in particular this labor union being united. Uh, and but, a lot of parental support for the unions. And a lot of parental support for the unions. I mean, a lot of parents were upset after a week or so because, you know, they've got to go to work and, and so forth. But there was a lot of parental support for the labor unions. And, and I live in Beverly. Uh, and in Beverly, just about every house had proud union home in front of it. It was really kind of interesting because I know a lot of those people are not union people. But they had proud union home in front of them. They were supported as a, as a, as a showings for support. And now those signs are out supporting the people in Evergreen. Uh, which is next to it. Well, I am um, uh, Mayor Daly in the schools. It's just what's so strange. And what your your question and Larry's response really tie into it. I think about this. Um, Mayor Daly's greatest achievement of his um, administration was uh, sort of turning the public's uh, attitude around regarding public school, and he. He did that in part by um, dedicating a lot of money to rebuilding schools, like you're saying. He de deserves a lot of credit, absolutely. I can recall in the mid-90s and late-90s and early O's, so many different school construction projects. They finally built a new Simeon. took forever. Mm -hmm. uh, on the north side, just it seemed like every school had a new playground, and they were sandblasting schools. And I believe that really fed sort of the, the public's notion that Things are turning around in Chicago with the public schools. And then he was always known, he's very proud of himself as being an education mayor. And I'm an innovator. And, and his, uh, Paul Vallis, who was his first superintendent once he got complete control of the schools, uh, has gone on to many different jobs, is, is still writing the legacy he had in Chicago, one I was very critical of, but it seems to work well for his career. And additionally, Arnie Duncan is now running the whole shebang in, in Washington. So that's what I find it so bizarre. 
that Rahm Emanuel would walk into town and work from the assumption that all of our schools need to be blown up, that the whole thing is a mess, that we have, that even children, and this, the Beverly neighborhood is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. He, he said all children, no matter where they live, no matter where they go, have to have a longer school day. And the resistance was very strong in Beverly in and, Mount, board, yes. and Mount Greenwood. Yeah. And the parents would say to him, our kids are doing fine. Unless you tell us what they're, you're going to do with that longer day, we don't want a longer school day. It just means we're staring at walls. And the response, which is, which is maddening from many of these bureaucrats, was we know better than you what your children need. And so I think that it was a horrendous misunderstanding uh, by uh, Mayor Rahm about the schools he was now running. And again, I go back to the fact that he doesn't really know Chicago. He's never spent any time here. And um, he was trying to, f he was completely converted, transformed the public's attitude to a degree about public education emerging from the daily years. Um, now, I was very critical of Daly for a lot of things he did, but Larry, you're absolutely correct. I think the money that he spent, which, by the way, he stole from the teacher's pension fund, but that's a whole other story, uh, uh, on, uh, uh, well, you know, I mean, you got to come from somewhere, uh, it was, was great, was money well spent. Well, you know, I mean, one part of the problem is the way we fund education in this state, too, with the real estate taxes, and we don't take any, and, and we, we help fund the pensions for the rest of the state from Chicago. None of this is really very fair. Uh, and, and, and it's a political problem that has maybe m more to do with Michael Madigan than it does with uh, the mayor of the city of Chicago. And, and state aid for yes. local schools has declined over the decades yeah. substantially. Yeah. Um, We're going to have this lady here. This isn't really a question, but it was um, alluding to what the person in the back said about the other candidates. And uh, I saw the debates a while back when they were all running, mm -hmm. and it, I can't. I think that it um, was uh, my perception of the whole thing was that Patricia Watkins Stokes, who got my vote, mm -hmm. uh, was the only one that answered the question. Like she would answer the question, and she says, "This is what I propose to do," mm -hmm. in response to the question. Whereas Mayor Emanuel flew in, knew he had the job, and <laughs> wink, wink, you know, with a handshake, and knew he was going to get the job. And that was my perception. Well, I think there was a general perception that he was the hand-picked successor to the Dalits, you know, that he could be controlled somehow, or, or if not controlled, he could be, you know, a hold, holder, a holder place, a placeholder, excuse yeah. me, for the next, whoever that next may be. Well, now you're one of my favorite topics here because it's not up. Yes, I completely agree with you. Mayor, it was a combination of people. I believe that President Obama couldn't take another day of Rahm Emanuel in the White House, and I can understand why. <laughs> From what I've been reading, Michelle Obama couldn't take another day of having him hanging around either. So they needed a place to get 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 him out, and uh, so the Daly brothers cut a deal, and he is ushered to the front of the line. What I will never understand is why the electorate of Chicago voted for him, and ultimately, it's not up to Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, 
Mayor Daley and William Daley to determine who the mayor of Chicago is up to the people who vote in Chicago. And uh, Rahm Emanuel got 57% of the vote of the people who did, and he's our mayor now, for better or for worse. I, I think it was actually a little less. I think it was 53. Okay. He, I mean, he carried it in the first yeah. round. But. All right. Well, 53, 57, it's, it's, uh, it was enough to avoid a runoff. So the people of Chicago are culpable for this administration, in my humble opinion. Well, but there were some very curious things that happened in that election as well. And, and, and I think that uh, Emmanuel was remarkably lucky with the uh, residency challenge mm -hmm. because what the residency challenge allowed him to do was sit in that chair for two or three days while he was being questioned about whether or not he was a true and undying Chicagoan or not. And he could... Uh, he, he modulated his personality in such a way so that he didn't appear to be the angry, bullying fellow that he often seems to be. And if, if I were conspiratorial, I would actually uh, make a joke, which is that maybe he was behind the challenge <laughs> to his residency because, because it allowed him to actually humanize himself. Now, I assume that he wasn't, but um, he had a tremendous amount of money, and uh, money helps tremendously in any kind of large constituency. And I think that what Emmanuel was able to do was to uh, you know, tie himself to uh, Obama, tie himself to uh, Bill Clinton to some degree, who was quite resolute in endorsing him. And, and Emmanuel is in some ways reflective of some of the problems that the Democratic Party has, mm -hmm. which oh, is yeah. the Democratic Party is no longer the party of FDR, and I don't know necessarily that it should be, but um, I guess it was uh, uh, Barry Goldwater who said that the Republicans should offer a choice rather than an echo. And in a way, the Democrats have become an echo of the Republican Party with, and, and again, I think that this is relevant to understanding uh, uh, Emanuel as well. Uh, Emanuel is what I would call a lifestyle liberal. So that uh, in, in all due respect, Dominic, he, 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 he appeals to bike riders such as myself. I know. And uh, he is developing a cultural plan, mm -hmm. and he will be as attentive to environmentalists and gays and lesbians as probably Richard M. Daley was. Mm -hmm. And so there's a way in which he carves out a kind of liberal niche for himself, even as he pushes a type of city government, which is fundamentally business-oriented. Well, I'm and this is the before. same niche, though, that, that Richie Daley, yeah. you know, I mean, he, he got lakefront liberals. And he was able to hold on to enough ethnic, white ethnic background and, and, and 30% of the black vote. And you've got it. There's no problem here. And so he follows the same model that Rich Daly followed in 1989 and, and beyond. Um, uh, Rom? Rom, yeah. I mean, as far as putting, putting that coalition together that got him up to 53%. Well, actually, I, Rom, with, with Daly in 89 won with rock solid white ethnic support and very little support in the black community. The astounding no. thing about Rom, because, uh, black Chicagoans were hoodwinked into thinking that Barack Obama was endorsing him as opposed to kicking him out of the White House. Uh, I think Rom got... Did you both? Yeah. Endorsing him to get him out of that White House. Anyway, I, what, was the, what was the percentage of the black support for Rom? Do you remember? Oh, I think it was 25, 30%. Yeah. No, no. Oh, for Bra it was over 50. Okay, it was more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was Yeah, it was... Yeah. So he got elected with a, uh, a majority of black vote. And um, uh, so, in a sense, you could say his coalition was more diverse 
than uh, Richard M. Daly at the start. At the, the start, start, but later right. on. Yeah, later on. Yeah, he, because he's able very much to tie into uh, black leadership, religious leadership, especially conservative leadership. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and, uh, but, but it's interesting, uh, this idea of getting rid of him from the White House. Uh. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll have in the front here and then there and then there. I think you're being overly uh, critical of him, maybe because of the teacher's strike. Um, I'm wondering, and it's just been a very short time that he's been in office, I'm wondering um, if you'd like to comment on some of his achievements. Uh, I like this idea of him being a, a lifestyle mayor because I know culturally he supported a lot of uh, good um, events in the city and uh, he seems to have a very broad perspective on city government and what the government should provide insofar as it's able to. So could you comment on his achievements so far? Um, well, uh, I have been very critical of Rahm Emanuel, uh, so your, your point's very well taken. But um, I think uh, I was actually I praised him in print um, uh, because um, I th this is going to be off the topic of what we've been discussing so far, but he did allow the city council to vote to um, take that first small tiny step toward what I hope will be the legalization of marijuana. And when he had, uh, I, I'm astounded that somebody clapped to that. Thank you. Um, we'll, we'll, I, be, we'll be making purchases in the back. Yeah, later. no, it's it's a cultural center. It's crowd. a cultural center crowd. Okay, I did not know that. Um, I, this is a, a an obsession of mine. Uh, the way, not marijuana per se, but the way the law is enforced. And um, uh, I've been very critical about, you know, how we enforce marijuana laws and how unfair it is, particularly to black residents. It's essentially the drug is legal for white people and illegal for black people. And I don't know how we as a society can tolerate that anymore. And Mayor Emanuel, to his credit, I gave him credit in the print, uh, after probably doing a lot of surveying and polls, um, had the city council pass uh, a law that... Uh, legalized it to a degree or decriminalized it is the word it's uh we still have a long way to go on that but uh i don't know if mayor daly would ever have done that um maybe i'm being unfair to mayor daly but so i i give him credit for that um and he did to his also to his credit i will give him credit for this um i thought his first budget was horrendous to the libraries he cut the libraries the libraries are already barely gasping as it is and I think he showed a really bad judgment in terms of the importance of libraries to Chicago. Um, but then, uh, on, in the face of pressure um, from uh, library users and um, from uh, the librarians, he restored those cuts. So we're, I haven't looked at this current budget, but coming out of last year, we were back to where we were at the start. So I give him credit for that. So you're saying Ron can admit he made a mistake? Well, he never admitted he made a mistake. He just rectified the mistake that he made. Okay. Uh, well, and, and, and that's more important than admitting it. Yeah. Actually, I don't know. Now, 
let, let me uh, let me say more about the business purchase business person's approach to city government. I think that um, what the Emanuel administration is doing with regard to garbage collection in the city is perfectly consistent with that philosophy. We've had this rather archaic system in which the uh, ward boundaries were used as the uh, basic uh, uh, subdivisions for collecting garbage in the city. It's uh, uh, historically been highly politicized, but it's also kind of a uh, inefficient system because ward boundary lines are so screwy. And so we're going to a grid system in which uh, there's going to be a much more rational collection process. And I think pushing for those kinds of initiatives are very good. Um, I'm a little more skeptical of uh, the privatization element of this, though I think that uh, if uh, we had a com competition between private uh, scavenger services and uh, public employees, and public employees are able to uh, match up, then that's, that's a sort of desirable way of thinking about maintaining the more traditional system in the face of innovation. Uh, to me, though, the issue with the business approach to city government is that uh, while I think that there is no such thing as a public sector versus private sector way to collect garbage, it's all kind of a technical problem, um, things like running public schools are more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. And and I think that uh, in, in the United States, the uh, uh, gravest social problem that we confront is increasing economic and social inequality. And uh, one of the ways that I would expect that to be further uh, exacerbated is through a uh, collapse of a public education system into one in which all kinds of consumers with all kinds of variation in resources and ability to choose schools are set loose to find schools and, and ultimately people with uh, what uh, we social scientists so nicely call social capital but also real capital, that is money, will get better educations and other people won't. And um, ultimately, I think public education is important because of what it does in terms of citizenship and also in terms of contributing to equality in the United States. And to simply say, well, we have to fix schools by privatizing them doesn't even begin to address those questions. So I think that, again, to get back to some of my criticism, a public official who isn't sensitive to those kinds of questions and making those kinds of distinctions, it's going to be hard for that public official to impress me. You know, one of the things I'd like to say about the schools, for tr traditionally there has been a parallel school system in this city, which is now falling apart, and that's the Catholic school system. And while that Catholic school system was in place when it had free labor, uh, nuns, uh, it could charge very little. And so there was a push here for equality of opportunity to an extent. So if the public school was bad, who the hell cares? You send the St. Sabinas, or you send the St. Sacred Heart, or St. Joseph's. And, uh, and it's cheap enough that you can afford it, and, uh, and you move on. But that public school system, or that private school system, semi-private, I suppose, uh, has fallen apart. We're down from, I think, 450 Catholic schools in the city to about 200 now. And it's, and it's, and it's shrinking more and more. So now the public schools, all that pressure is being put on the public school system. You know, because the kids who go to the public school system would have, in some cases, gone to the Catholic school system. They're not going to go to Francis Parker, they're not going to go to Latin school, they're not going to go to the University of Chicago Laboratory School, they're not going to be, nobody's going to be paying $30,000 a year for them to go to school. Uh, so you, you have a whole different situation here that, that nobody's ever faced before. And I think you're right, Ram doesn't quite get it. He's a graduate of New Trier, 
in, in that De La Salle Institute on 35th Street like uh, the former mayor was. Hi, I'm glad you're stimulating thought. Um, the new th uh, thinking that you're just bringing to the table is this pay for performance. Whether you bid the contract out to someone who's in the public sector, they're going to make a bucket of money or charge a bucket of money. Or whether you give it out to Tom and Joe, you know, brothers who are movers, they're going to say, boy, I'll take any job. Please let me have work. Um, I think one of the things that I've seen in this past 6, 8, 10, 12 months is there's been a big expose of how much people are getting paid in the public sector. Mm -hmm. And it's quite evident that I'm embarrassed being a Chicagoan. How much money you make if you just sit back and do the job. And um, so part of that um, is an underlying area of that we've got to continue to feed the piggy bank to run the city as opposed to do things for the city. What I'd like to hear from each of you is what might be one thing, fast forward, four or five years from now, what one thing would you like to see happen? What would you believe we could do to make one shining star for the city of Chicago under Rahm's leadership or under the direction of our city government? Pick any one of those great topics Don brought up, though. <laughs> you know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see a plan... See, I believe manufacturing is coming back to the United States. And I think that Chicago is in a, in a particularly good place, if it looks at its past, to take, take advantage of that. Uh, if, if you, if it, it was always a center for agricultural uh, and, and the agro-industrial uh, production. Uh, I would like to see a, a manufacturing plan come out of the mayor's office that would deal with these issues in a reasonable manner that would put aside, there's all this land on the southeast side that nobody's using right now, put it on a side, put in, in infrastructure uh, into that area, create manufacturing jobs. There's a lot of people here who need work, and those people are not going, don't want to go to college. They don't want to, you know, uh, be part of the digital revolution. They want good paying jobs that they can pay a mortgage on and, and, and pay taxes on and send their kids to good schools. They want what Chicagoans have traditionally wanted. I, I, I hope I'm not looking backwards to a, a, a past that can't be reestablished, re but you are getting manufacturing jobs. Chicago is still the one of the best manufacturing centers in the United States. And we do produce a lot of things here. Uh, and I think we can, we can continue to do that if we, if we, if, if it's, if, if City Hall is, has a, has a logical, uh, realistic plan. That's what I'd like to see. See, we're going this way. Um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, that's a great question. What do I want as opposed to what do I get? I spend so much time complaining about what I get. So you ask me what I want, like in a perfect world, okay? Well, you know, I was always, uh, I always had a soft spot in my heart for former Governor Bogoyevich, who I voted for three times, did not vote for him the fourth time, proud to say. Um, what insight I had in that election. Because he gave the senior citizens free ride on public transportation. And I, my wife and I were totally opposite in this. She goes, so many senior citizens don't need that free ride. Those senior citizens are rich. And I'm like, well, you know, I think we should have free public transportation. That, that should be our goal. Period. Yeah. Period? Wow. For everybody. Yeah, for yeah. everybody. And, and, uh, I mean, you talk about bicycling. Uh, how important that is to the city of Chicago, but wouldn't it be great if we had free public transport, as in F-R-E-E, -E, anybody could get on it and ride? 
get to work. Yeah, sure. more of it, more trains, more free, free. Look at this. I didn't. Man, I'm two for two. I thought the marijuana thing would die. It got a big applause. <laughs> now I see there's a constituency for free public transportation. So as long as you're asking me for something that I want, which will never happen in my lifetime, because most of the things I do want will never happen. But I think as a goal, that's such a great goal, I think, free public transportation. So I'm always sympathetic to uh, Governor Bogoyevich. <laughs> for whatever reason, he gave senior citizens free public transport. Didn't they take that away? It's yeah. Is it completely gone, or is it a, unless you're disabled? Okay. But think about how you'd cut down on traffic, right, and pollution and all these other issues if we could have free public transportation. But the question is, how would you pay for it? Yeah, yeah well, that's a big question. Okay, now, now it's my turn in response to the question. And, and I, would, I would like to see Mayor Emanuel or a successor con convene an uh, education summit in Chicago, which would bring together all the parties, and would talk about what we want the public education system in the future to look like. And, and, and I contrast this in particular with an approach that's taken now, which appears to be mainly driven by closing down low-performing schools. Oh, shit, let's, we got to find somebody to take up the slack. And so it's very much a kind of response to shutting down schools as opposed to an approach that says, well, what would be the balance between more specialized schools and more general schools? There are education issues that transcend Chicago in the sense that uh, education funding is even more of a challenge for some of the rural counties in downstate Illinois than it is for the city of Chicago. So that a uh, education summit that would actually reach out to other portions of the state and would put pressure on the state government to come up with a better system, essentially one that would be pulled away from local property taxes as the, as the revenue source for education, that's what I would like to see, because it would be a matter of dealing with the fiscal issue, bring all the parties together, and actually talk in a positive way about, well, what kind of education system is it that we want, as opposed to what we have now, which is what kind of education system we don't want. You know, that's our starting point, and I don't think that that necessarily takes you to a better place. Yeah, and you know, I just thought of something, you know, uh, so much of this, as I think it was Dominic that said, or so much of this is outside the mayor's control. Let's think... The, the big issue over the last summer, of course, was the, the violence in Chicago and, 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 and the um, so many murders that were happening. I don't know what the mayor can do, what any mayor can do, uh, without with the limited resources, unless tremendous amounts of money are spent on all sorts of social programs that we don't even have the money for. So, I, again, I keep saying all these things I would like to have done. I don't know if it's within the mayor's capability, any mayor. To, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's really difficult, and, and especially with the kind of budgets that we have right now and how, how things have fallen apart. But if you look at the park system, we had one of the best park systems in the world. Uh, when you say field house, it's a Chicago term. The field house was a community center. It was a meeting place. It was a, uh, there was a library in each one of the field houses for a long time. And when they were first set up, there was actually a... Uh, uh, most of the field houses had uh, uh, cafeterias that sold food at cost because they were dealing with poor immigrant uh, families in, 19, in the early 1900s. I went to the old field house that I hung around with, and it was locked. Why yeah. was it locked in the middle of the day? I mean, it makes no sense. You want to get kids off the street? Open the goddamn field yeah. house. Well, you're, yeah, you're, you need... I know exactly what you're saying. This was so frustrating for me because I wrote about it endlessly when, when Daly was pushing the Olympics. Uh, I couldn't believe we were 
proposing to spend so much money mm -hmm. on the most high-tech uh, equipment for international athletes who would be here for like three weeks and they right. were going to dismantle it. And field houses were locked. And there's no programming. If you're going to have a park district program as opposed to pay to play what we have now, you actually have to hire people to, who know how to deal with kids, yeah, know right. the community, uh, who are both almost social workers, as you mm -hmm. were saying. And so uh, it's so far beyond where we've been going as a city right. in terms of employment, in terms of resources. And, and it once existed. Yeah. And, it, and it, it became a political football, and it disappeared. And, and now we've got... Well, little, it, you it, know. Daly started the dismantling of it. I don't, it's not even on Rahm Emanuel's agenda, as far as I could tell. This is what I'm saying. It's, it's not part of... It's, I just don't see a discussion of building up the park districts to have free program or... Uh, forget senior, forget people riding for free on the train, my utopian vision. How about just having a, a field house with a full schedule of, of programs, uh, that are affordable? Mm -hmm. I suppose even free. I would prefer free, but whatever, affordable. That's just not even a part of, as I could tell, uh, where we're heading as a city right now. So it's definitely not that way in the schools. We've cut back the school programs. The, the school sports programs. There's no inter Don't get me started on sports in the schools. One yeah. of my obsessions. Art. Art. There's no art. There's no education. There's no music. So we're talking about a longer day. There's no funding for any of this stuff. And um, that's why I say we're, we squander the money we have on trivial things. Like I think of the G8 summit and the NATO summit, which Lord knows how much that cost us. Don't, you, you have to foyer yourself to death to find out how much it costs, and even then they'll lie to you. So uh, what was that all about? What, what was that? How was that in the best interest of anybody in Chicago when you talk about these horrendous issues of trying to get kids off the street so they're not killing each other mm -hmm. or getting them a head start so they can't compete with the kids who are coming out of New Trier? Uh, I just feel as though a lot of times our city just squanders whatever resources it has. And, and then we can start talking about TIFs again, oh, which yeah. is a squandering system. Don't get me started. <laughs> well, uh, concessions. I think, you know, McCormick Place gave concessions, so they have now some of these shows locked in for another maybe seven or eight years because the unions gave into, uh, you know, the uh, people come in wanting to set up their own booth or something. So I think that has to go throughout the city, you know, through the, through the uh, government, uh, different concessions to make things work better, I guess. So I have lived around the city uh, so many neighborhoods. Uh, I am living presently in, uh, for the past year in Roseland and West Pullman. And uh, when I was in Logan Square, you'd have uh, street cleaning four or five times or six times a year. Down there, in one whole year, there was only street cleaning one time. And uh, it was only when I had said something to one of the people that I'm living with, oh, I haven't seen a street cleaner, the very next day, there's the signs up. <laughs> it wasn't my doing, but I guess God heard me. So... Uh, I'm walking down uh, Wabash the other day, and I walk from here all the way down to uh, past Congress. And I'm talking to a girl who walk, I walk in abreast with her, 
So when we were both going to turn from the street, uh, I said to her, you know, I says, it would be great to have had a trolley running underneath the subway, underneath the elevator. A trolley that might take the people who are shopping to another street. In other words, they could go to any corner and get off and not have all this L, the elevated and the uh, subways bring people into the city. But you need something to move the people in the city so it makes it more convenient to shop more to shop to stores. People go to more stores because they don't have to. They can they can make four or five stops in one visit downtown instead of just one, just going to Macy's, say. So to keep the, I talked to a Brazilian just the other day, and uh, he Is there a said, question? He said, well, I'm getting to this. All right. He says that he comes to Chicago every year. He likes it much better than New York. There are a lot of tourists here, but I think we need something to keep the tourists coming to Chicago, keep this downtown area vital. If you keep taxing them so much, they need to have something, some concessions to get people into downtown, use it. And so I guess my question then is, uh, why can't there be something appropriated for uh, the, uh, I guess you would call it intermodal transportation of the downtown area? And then these outlying areas, some of these services that you have in one area, why can't it be in Roseland too? Why can't it be more sure. you equal know, I, in the outside neighborhood? So thank you. I, I think, you know, I mean, I, I, I appreciate your, your, your statement and the fact that poor neighborhoods do not have, are not delivered with good services. Poor neighborhoods like Roseland, minority neighbors, neighborhoods like Roseland, Kensington, etc., is a long tradition in this city. Ignore those neighborhoods because they don't have a lot of political clout. They don't have a lot of economic clout. So you can afford to ignore them. I'm not so worried about bringing tourists downtown as I'm about getting your streets cleaned. I think your streets need to be cleaned. I think the, uh, the rats have to be cleared out of the alley. I think we have to take a real look at neighborhood life, and that's what Harold Washington did for a good long time. He's one of my favorite mayors, too. Uh, but the idea here that, you know, I mean, uh, you know, there was a, there was a plan for a, if you may remember the circulator and the, the people mover downtown. Well, you need federal funding for that, and you're not going to get it from this government, uh, or probably from the next government. Uh, so you're, you're really in a bind. We once did have, you know, the best streetcar system in the country here that went every place. We had a great cable car system. If, if, if we had kept that cable car system, we'd probably be making rice right here right now. You know? <laughs> but the fact is that we had a great system, and the buses replaced it. The buses are smelly and loud, and they, they, they don't do what the, what the streetcars once did. Uh, it's, 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 it, this is a large political issue that, that continues. But my real problem is I don't care about the goddamn tourists who come here. I care about the people in Roseland. And I think we've got to clean Roseland up. And I'm not running for anything, so, you know, uh, or, or ever will. Uh, but, but the fact is it's Roseland. It's back of the yards. It's Inglewood. It's uh, on the northwest side. Uh, these places that need, need good public services. 
And that, I'm afraid, you're right, Rahm Emanuel's not thinking about that at this point because he's taking those voters for granted. Well, and, and let, me, uh, let me add something to what Dom said as well, which is that uh, you uh, will occasionally see uh, city planning documents in Chicago which have uh, maps of the downtown area, and they will show the uh, rail transit system as if uh, the CTA and uh, the metro trains were unified. <laughs> and, and, and it's actually it's quite interesting to look at these maps because uh, central Chicago then does look like Manhattan or many European mm -hmm. cities in terms of the rail transit coverage. And what you're describing in part has been a failure of the various governments running transit agencies in, in Chicago to coordinate their activities over the last couple of generations. And there is continuing lobbying for a uh, single fare card, which is good, but it doesn't allow you to get from that metro station two blocks over to that CTA station. But there are also proposals for attempting to unify the system in terms of creating stations in which you can go from metro to the CTA and so on. And uh, that is, to me, a relatively apolitical, doable strategy. There's some physical requirements that sure. you would have to have for that. But just let me say a little more. One of the things we haven't talked about tonight, but I think it, it continues to be a very important challenge, is that uh, Chicago is a city of 2.7 or 2.8 million residents in a metropolitan area of 8 or 9 million. And um, I think that Richard M. Daley made some efforts at attempting to work more with the county, counties and the municipalities outside the city um, one of the things that Chicago needs to work on a lot is uh, having a more uh, expansive sense of what the city is, which is really the metropolitan area, and also using resources that are dispersed among a bunch of different jurisdictions in a more efficient way. And we have this sort of amazing, disarticulated rail transit system at present, which that's something that public officials really could work on and do something about in relatively short order. Yeah, there's 1,500 or 1,800 governments in northern Illinois. It makes no sense at all. And they don't cooperate with each other. So you've got PACE, you've got CTA, you've got METRA. I mean, it all, you know, and, and they don't operate in, in the same system. It's like when we used to have 12 park districts. We had 12 park districts in 1931. And they didn't cooperate with each other. So finally they united into one Chicago park district. I, this, there, there's precedent for this kind of, you know, uni unification. And I think it's something, well, 2020, the plan, the 2020 plan is called for regional planning. Why not? Okay, here's our last question of the night. It's this gentleman right here. Yes, you, please. Uh, I, I just wanted to, uh, pick up on the point about democracy and, uh, open government. And to me, that would be the number one priority. Um, and I would submit that you can't have a global city without signaling internationally that this is a place of honest and open government. And uh, I've seen headlines where the mayor is not complying with FOIA requests constantly. Sure. And I've seen fights with the inspector general. And instead of moving towards openness and transparency, uh, we're having less meetings. I think the city council should be uh, televised meetings. Um, there should be transcripts that are posted. There was a token move to put uh, salaries online, and then the press was easily satisfied that that was a move uh, to transparency. And Rod Blagojevich said he was a reformer, didn't reform, and he got a hard time about it. And I don't understand the 
the disconnect here. I completely agree with you. I, and I, I, I think sometimes that uh, I'm surprised that in a public forum somebody would raise that as an issue, and I applaud you for doing that. It's, it's generally uh, people like myself or Dave Goatz or other reporters. You know, we're always trying to get information from government, and it's difficult uh, in the best of times. It's been exceedingly difficult with this government, uh, and uh, Larry mentioned that he, he discontinued his public hearings for the budget, uh, Mayor Daley, to his credit, uh, every year, three public hearings, got to ask him directly questions. They gave you a sample budget, uh, which showed how much each department was going to get this year, how much they got last year. So you, Joe Citizen, could just show up and, I mean, this, this, at best, I'll say this for Rom, they took a bunch of information and they threw it out there on the internet. It's very difficult to find anything specific. It's very difficult for anybody to understand uh, what they're putting out there. The school budget that they put out now is far less uh, enlightening than the previous school budget. So we're actually moving, in terms of school funding, financing, it's worse today than it was under Mayor Daley. It was worse today than it was in the first year of ROM. So I, my only conclusion is that the larger public doesn't care about being enlightened um, and doesn't really want to study government at the level and just wants its basic services taken care of, the most basic of basic services, like garbage collection and streetlights. Mm -hmm. um, and occasionally you'll have a flare-up between bicyclists and drivers, and then that'll be the big uh, problem that the mayor will have to adjudicate. But I think the, the real answer to your point is that I just don't believe there's a real push on the part of the population of Chicago uh, and the state of Illinois for this sort of open, honest government. I mean, we keep electing, <laughs> we keep electing these people, and they're, you know, each one is sort of a little variation of the one that went before, so I wish it could be more. I, I think you're right. There's sort of a social contract. I want my garbage picked up. Yeah. I want my sidewalks fixed. Leave me alone. Yeah. And, and I don't care what you do with it then. And I think that, that, that's been a tradition here. And it goes way back into the 19th century. It's not, nothing that we've just, uh, nothing new. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, thank you all for coming, and let's please thank these three panelists.